Hello and welcome to How Many Geese. I'm Jack Baddams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're after a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously... Then we are the natural selection. On today's show... In 2011, as the Shard skyscraper was being built, a fox moved in onto the 72nd floor... The real thing which is unnerving about the shoe bill is without doubt its upbringing in fire and brimstone. After thousands of years, just one branch decided to change sex. That tree has been waiting to come out for 2,000 years. Mammals. We'll play another game. Otter. Otter. Um... Eight to ten. Yeah, I mean that's pr- that's what I'd go for. But few survive past five. Oh wow! Result for otters, badgers. Oh, well, there's a lot of them on the roads. Um, five, seven to eight oh. for badgers. Sometimes up to sixteen. Apparently, hope you're playing along at home, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> fox. Oh, like less than three. Yeah, so yeah. fox foxes, they were the curveball that I hope to get you with at the end. Yeah. Because foxes, you look at a fox and you think there's an animal that must live for, well, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years? Dog years. Yeah. Yeah. But they have a really small life expectancy. And it's a really good example of how um, the habitat that they're living in plays a role because the urban fox lifespan is an average of 18 months. Yeah. I appreciate the thinking it would be a curveball. The, the cause of your downfall is that in the in-between of lockdowns, I visited the British Wildlife Centre, which is a little zoo in Surrey, Surrey or Surrey, which just does native British wildlife. It's really cool. And the fact which properly blew my mind there was when they said that foxes lived for, yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, well, it's the size of a spaniel and dogs live for about 10, 12 years would be a decent, but no, yeah. Yeah, it's really surprising. So. Like I said, 18 months is the average life expectancy of an urban fox, with half the population of foxes in Bristol and London being one year of age, and only about 3% of all foxes in Bristol and London being older than five years. Wow. So, Live fast, die hard. Exactly. And the reason why is because they have huge, ridiculously high population densities in urban areas. And mm. the territories that they inhabit in urban areas can be 0.2 square kilometres in size, whereas in rural hill country, it can be 40 square miles. So the density of foxes in urban areas is so high that the conflict and the, you know, the negative impacts that's having on their life expectancy is ridiculously high because they're piled in together. 0.2 square kilometres urban territory and rural hill country is 40 square kilometres that a fox can range over as its territory. Cats do a similar thing. Like, I swear I've seen a documentary that was about domestic cats and saying how in the wild they don't want to be like near each other but in a house they will split like households which have like three or four cats the cats will split their territories up and they did like night vision cameras in the house and everything and you worked out that like on top of the fridge was like molly's territory and when you're the owner it's like oh you know she loves the top of the fridge but what's actually happening is instead of roaming across fields these cats are like this is my fucking fridge (laughs) Well, that would make sense because they are, you know, they're carnivorous and in wild, wide ranging animals. Yeah. And when we put them at such high densities, you think even if you're letting that cat out, chances are on that street, there are going to be multiple cat owners. 
um, or certainly in the neighborhood, there's going to be multiple cat owners. So they, the stimuli they must be getting from like all the scents and all yeah. the whatever, the territory stuff. But it's interesting that some animals seem to be able to switch that on and off in a sense. Well, mm. I don't know if it's on, but, you know, to be able to go from... Like your territory will just be the area that you need to get food and everything exactly. like that. So, so that's the thing in so, urban areas. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. urban areas for the foxes, those territories can be much smaller because you're not having to hunt. If you can go to, if you've got a skip a bin, yeah. within your 0.2 square kilometers, yep. you don't need to go across like five rabbit warrens trying to catch whatever it yep. is you've got. Just leaving the nest lap, just pop into a bin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to need anything. <laughs> but you've got, in the city, obviously, it's a much higher, high risk life. You've got, cars and all sorts of stuff and i found some a really amazing example of a dangerous situation that foxes can put themselves in by living in an urban life because apparently in 2011 as the shard skyscraper was being built a fox moved in onto the 72nd floor and survived on food scraps left by workers mental how much were the workers eating <laughs> i guess they were probably i guess they found the fox and were then bringing it food Oh, okay, yeah, fine. Although it does say food scraps left by workers. Yeah, I reckon they must have. Just a roast dinner every... <laughs> At what point did they get it out? Or did it just leave? Or is it still there? We had a fox in our floor. office recently. Did you? Yeah. I mean, our office is based in the park and we don't have a cat, but it's got a cat flap. So there's a lot lining up for a fox to and enter you are, the office. And we should say you are in London as yeah. well. Yeah. So this park in London <laughs> with a cat flap, pretty inevitable really. But yeah, a fox just... Baby Fox was curled up on one of the computers. That's amazing. They yeah. are really cool animals. Uh, there's also, apparently, there are a few fox footprints preserved in the concrete floor of the Darwin Centre in the Natural History Museum from when a fox explored the site when it was being built. Love that. It's a great little fact, that's isn't it? That's great, yeah. So you can get everywhere. So that's foxes. So foxes don't live particularly long. Now, I think you'll know this one because of your history. Mm -hmm. Bats. I thought this was going to come up. Tell yeah. me about bats, Ronnie. They're the longest lived animals relative to their body size. And things like a pipistrelle, which are an inch to two inches long in body, maybe two inches might even be a big pipistrelle, to be honest, tiny, tiny creatures. So the equivalent size of things like shrews, which live a year. I mean, I imagine 18 months is an ancient shrew. They have these extremely fast turnovers. But pipistrelles can live for 30 years. Mm. I don't know what the record is for them. I know people ring bats in the same way they ring... Well, not directly in the same way, but the same kind of, like Jack was saying, you know, the study and recapture and all the rest. Um, I don't know what that's revealed, but live incredibly, incredibly long lives relative to so their size. One of the oldest bats that I could find from ringing studies was a Brant's bat that mm -hmm. was found in a Siberian cave in 2005. There's only, like you've just said, five centimetres mm. long a Brant's mm. bat. That was 41 years old yeah. and weighs somewhere between four to eight grams of Brant's <laughs> bat. And it's lived for 41 years old. And they have this, like you say, remarkable lifespan relative to their size. And I knew this about bats, but I didn't know why. So I delved into why. And to be honest, no one really knows, but there are a few suggestions range, uh, ranging from simple ones, like there's not many predators at night. Mm-hmm that the fact that they hibernate to escape the winters and that the fact that they're switching off, mm -hmm. there's less wear and tear on their, well, on their whole aging process and their 
system basically because they're not active for large chunks of the year huge is like a third of the year almost there yeah out, a, yeah a bit like the a bit like the robin and the tropical birds that we were talking about the fact that they have a pretty low productivity rate so they're only creating i don't do bats ever have twins or is it just one i think it's incredibly rare so bats are only really having one pup a year so they have this really low productivity rate which is maybe not stressing out their um well once again their whole body yeah, and their whole... Versus seven eggs. Versus seven eggs and the stress that puts you through after a breeding season. And then I found an interesting thing that is something potentially really special about their genes. Now, it says that because flying is an extreme form of physical activity that burns enormous stores of energy, it generates something called free radicals that cause tissue damage and diseases like cancer. And scientists from the Australian Animal Health Laboratory discovered that some species of bat possess a large number of DNA repair genes, including a gene called P53, which is involved in the repair of damaged DNA. The researchers believed that the extra repair genes increase the metabolism of bats, and that allows them to fly, but that these genes may also have secondary roles in the immune system. The evolution of flight may have led to a sort of spillover effect, influencing not only their immune system, but also things like ageing and potentially cancer. I'd heard about the link between flight and the immune system, because obviously this year there's been quite a bit of focus on viruses and bats. And the thought being that, yeah, there's so many waste products produced in the body because it's so metabolically intensive flying that to counter that they've got incredibly efficient and really fast processes in their body to deal with waste products to deal with poisons to deal with toxins and everything which is caused by flight and so off the back of that they're able to harbor quite a high virus load yeah which means that you know as as birds which also have flight we should say but aren't going through hibernation to escape the winters mm. um, or also in the day potentially where there's more predators so a combination of these things seem to be potentially what's giving bats a really ridiculously long lifespan for the size of the animal that they are do we know of any nocturnal birds lifespans being outliers no there's nothing like bats things like owls i think the bto record for the oldest tawny owl i think it's like early 20s or yeah. something like that from bird ringing studies there's nothing in the bird world that is such an outlier like a bat all the old birds well we've just talked about them it's big albatrosses parrots in captivity Hibernation, I wonder if that does play. That could potentially, if you're taking your body out of action for, like you say, potentially a third of the year, that could have a huge impact on. But there's loads of things that hibernate, you know, like hedgehogs and... Yeah, but maybe they've just got the holy grail. Hedgehogs can't fly, last time I checked. Yeah, unless, yeah. So maybe bats landed on the holy grail that was flight and hibernation. Because there's only, there's only one bird that does something remotely like hibernation and it can go into kind of a a torpo if it gets really cold but it's not hibernation in the same way that a bat does but bats the oldest animal in the world may potentially be i'm very excited about this i want to talk about this because i've just i've just acquired one of these um i should have brought it it wouldn't have helped for people listening but i should have brought it but i was sent a shell of an icelandic cyprine which is a species of clam that can be found throughout the atlantic ocean which is slow growing, particularly in cold areas, a bit like the Greenland shark. When things are cold, they mm -hmm. often grow slower. And that's led to some pretty ridiculous ages. And potentially the oldest known animal is Ming, the clam, which is I love that. 507 year old clam that was dredged from the Icelandic Ocean 
as with the theme of the fish, sadly, <laughs> the clam had to be killed, meaning we don't know how long they can live. But Ming, at 507 years old, is the oldest one that we know about. Named Ming, of course, because it was alive during the Ming Dynasty oh. in China. So that's why it's called Ming. And their age can be based on growth rings on the shell as well. But Ming had unfortunately been dredged and uh, was dead by the time they got round to, to counting. They had a recount, actually, topically. Oh, very, yeah. They, had, they, they originally put her in the 400s, I think, and then they had a recount. And All the Ming enthusiasts. <laughs> count the Stop rings. It. Count the rings. So uh, 507 for Ming. And I've got one now sitting pride of place on my bookcase. Lovely. Okay, and then we can't talk about the age of organisms without talking about... Trees? Trees. Yeah. So... The big boys. Trees. We've <laughs> got to talk about trees. Here we go. <laughs> the oldest tree with a verified age was, because, of course, to know the age of a tree, most of them have to die. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a tree called Prometheus. Birds are the only thing getting out of this with Birds any dignity. Sorted. Yep. Anyway, Prometheus the tree. He was chopped down in Nevada. He was a great basin bristlecone pine that was cut down in 1964. He was 4,862 years old. Imagine having that on your conscience, chopping down a tree that old. I should say, that's the oldest known tree with a verified age. The oldest living tree is likely to be Methuselah at around 4,848 years old or an unnamed pine close by, which is probably just over 5,000 years old. And they're also Great Basin Bristlecone Pines, but those two are in California. But you can't be sure because I mean, they're still alive. There's, It's just like mind-boggling. There is a tree in the UK that can maybe hold a claim against Methuselah and the unnamed pine. No way. To being as old. I mean, that is the most little England thing. Our I tree say, is older than your tree. I should say it's in Wales before we say little oh, England. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. <laughs> so it's the, the Welsh can claim this one. All right. And as such, I can't really pronounce it. The Llangernwy U. I think it's Llangernwy. Llangernwy. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway. I'm going to say Clangernwy. You is in a churchyard in Wales. Now, that's believed to be probably somewhere between 4,000 and 5,000 years old. But, whoa, whoa, whoa. The church isn't that old. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they built the church. is built around the tree. Well, but... The whole thing with using... I'm poking a hole in this just on church grounds, which is not something I ever do with science. <laughs> But we know things like, well, we know things like Christianity came along and replaced a lot of religions, things like paganism or whatever, that already held trees as being quite special. It could be that the church was built on the site of a very old yew tree. I don't know how old the church is, actually. But locals say that the yew is inhabited by an ancient spirit known as the Recording Angel. And from Welsh mythology, each year on Halloween and the 31st of July, the spirit is said to appear in the church and solemnly announces in Welsh the names of those parish members who will die within the year. Those wishing to find if their names were among the angels list gather beneath the east window of the church and listen very closely. So the angel comes out of the tree into the church window 
solemnly reads out the names twice a year, Halloween on the 31st of July, and then goes back into the tree to sleep. Also, in other interesting U-based chat, the Fortingal U, <laughs> it says 2,000 to 3,000, potentially up to 9,000 years old, which I'm yeah. not having any of that. So the Fortingal U, which is at least about 2,000 years old, in the village of Fortingal, Perthshire, Scotland, that is a male tree, but in 2015... Scientists from the Royal Botanic Garden in Edinburgh noticed that one small branch had changed sex and begun to bear a small group of berries. After thousands of years, just one branch decided to change sex. Wait, what year? That was in 2015. Why not? Get woke. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner did it when she was That's what? That's true. That 60, tree. 60, 70 odd. That tree is just it's coming been, out now. That, that tree has been waiting to come out for 2,000 yeah. years. But it's only done a branch. Well, you know, dip your toe. It's interesting that, though, isn't it? Like, what if you could only change one of your body parts to the opposite sex? We probably shouldn't go there. That's a hot, that wow. <laughs> Let's not do that. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> so that's a little summary of the oldest trees. But there is a debate about how to age a tree. Now, you would think that of all the things that we can age, aging a tree is very simple because you can chop it down, you can count the rings. But all those ones that I've mentioned, they're the oldest single trees. That's trees still with their original trunks because trees grow from their roots. And in Sweden, there's a Norway spruce called Old Tjiko, T-J-I-K-K-O, whose trunk generally lives for around 600 years before dying. Then it collapses, then a new one grows from the roots. Those roots have been carbon dated and genetically matched to work out that they're approximately 9,550 years old. God, it's mental, isn't it? So that's all of Christianity. That's Stonehenge. That's pyramids. Are there any... Any human. Human things? I think the only thing we're talking about is cave paintings and yeah. stone tools. Like, we're talking... Even, like, standing stones are within the last, kind of, 9,000 years. Or Brit Britain has only been an island for about 8,000 years. Fucking hell. There's potentially trees older. Oh, my God. Have you got some fact that there's a, a liverwort in Moscow that's been... <laughs> so the oldest tree. So this is... So Old Tajiko is topped by Pando, which is Latin for I spread. And I swear I met a woman in the Chesterfield branch of Spearmint Rhino with that name. <laughs> Pando lives in Utah. <laughs> Pando is the name for a whole complex of aspen trees that cover about 108 acres. Yeah. Now, aspens, they grow from their roots and they send out suckers. Mm -hmm. So they're all, so you get an aspen tree and from its roots, it spawns other trees straight up out of it, which are all genetic clones. Mm -hmm. But that can more or less go on indefinitely. From those roots of the clone trees, you get more clones, you get more clones, you get more clones, it continues. And Pando has spread over 108 acres, all growing out of the same root system. So they're all clones and no single tree that we would rock up and look at it and go, that's a tree. No tree and its trunk lasts much longer than 100 years. Now, there's no real way of knowing how long those roots have been there producing the trees, but it's believed that the only thing limiting their age was the last ice age, when the area of land that they're growing in was covered by a glacier. The estimate for the age of Pando is about 14,000 years old, that that group of aspen trees have been growing in that spot from the same root system that is that is amazing that is incredible however 
Tajiko is taking it because that's the same like one. Yeah. Cut me down and I shall rise more powerful than ever before. <laughs> I feel the same. And they call them, certainly with oak trees, where I used to work in Sherwood Forest, there'd been oak trees that are chopped down and then they'd risen again. Um, and they're called phoenix oaks. Hmm. So the idea of like a phoenix tree yeah. is just really, really cool. And that, that it's a single tree that just keeps coming back. But Pando may be the heaviest organism on the planet because it's 108 acres of root systems and trees that's all technically one organism so it's a pretty amazing thing that's been growing there since the end of the last ice age in that area it's weird the parallels in all this going back to the birds small bird in temperate place die young Mm -hmm. small bird in tropical place live long fish in cold place live long bat in cold place live long tree in cold place live long Mm. like none of these trees are tropical that's true. So, Although I wonder whether there are some ancient trees in the rainforest that uh, we just don't know about. But I can't think so because there's something about the turnover. Is for, it, it's, it's birds are the outlier in this for living longer in the tropics. Yeah, because it's a stable environment. Well, no, I mean, it's, yeah, yes. For the so birds. it's more stable for the birds in the tropics, but it's more stable for the Greenland shark. In the cold. In the cold. Because nothing's changing. It's always cold. It's always that. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably less stable for plants in the tropics because sunlight is so... There's such competition for sunlight. That's true. Yeah, and I wonder if... Whereas if you're the only seed on a rock on a glacier bed... You've just got all the time in the world to slowly. And if you're a, if you're a tree in the tropics, you've got things like strangler figs. You've got you, the competition. You have to shoot up so so trees yeah. are live fast, die young in the tropics, where it's like potentially, potentially. I mean, there's still like, mah- but even even mahoganies. Like I always had in my head that they were. You know, when we hear about exotic woods, and I'm not saying everyone go out and buy mahogany furniture, yeah. but like I had it in my head that they were going to be this like slow growing you know majestic thing anyway last year i visited singapore i used to live there went back and went to the botanic gardens and they had a mahogany growing there and i never seen one before and i read the plaque and looking at it with a kind of uk frame of reference in my mind thinking of like what oaks look like and stuff i was like wow this tree looks hundreds of years old it was 40 <laughs> it was 40 years old it was huge it, it was, was shoot up it was massive you would have looked at this tree compared to the stuff we've got here and put it in the hundreds of years and having everything you know of like oh they're chopping down ancient mahoganies 40 years old wow and there's more and more evidence, actually, as we're deforesting the rainforest now, there's more and more evidence looking from satellites that actually lots of what we would previously describe as primary rainforest, virgin rainforest, was historically chopped down by the Aztecs or the Mayans or the Inca or whoever. And that actually quite a lot of the rainforest isn't that old. So relative to perhaps what we... Relative to perhaps yeah. what we thought, yeah, rather than... Yeah. I'm just yeah. conscious that after my statement and your statement, we're not advocating... <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, yeah. let's keep the yeah. fucking rainforest Still where leave they are. the rainforest be. This isn't like, it's all bullshit. They're growing quick. The Aztecs cut it down. Fuck it. Build a canoe. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked, we've basically, we've ran through the oldest birds, uh, the oldest reptiles, the oldest trees. But on a technicality, there is a nematode worm two nematode worms that beat the age of everything we've mentioned. I'm trying to think where the technicality is because I feel like the aspen came in with a technicality 
and we this is more of a technicality I mean, I've got ideas for the kind of technicality. It's going to do some weird... Because it's one of those squiggly little lab-type animals that's probably functionally immortal or grows old, then grows backwards, then grows well, old, and then... So So we're going to come on to those in a minute. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're going to finish on. Okay. But think Captain America. Frozen in the ice. So nematode worms were found frozen in the permafrost above the Arctic Circle. Two were revived and began moving again and eating... One of them had been found in a fossilised squirrel burrow, was 32,000 years old, and the oldest one was 41,700 years old. And they're the oldest multicellular organisms on Earth. And it's the only example we've got of natural cryogenesis mm. in terms of being able to reawaken okay. an animal. But as you mentioned, there are some animals that don't play by the rules of age and flatly refuse to age or can go through reverse ageing. Mm-hmm. So there is... The yeah. domestic beetle, which under optimal conditions only lives for about eight weeks. And the immatures progress, like most other insects, from larva to pupa to adults. However, if the large larvae are deprived of food, their life cycle can be extended. Instead of molting to progressively larger stages, they molt backwards into smaller stages. I suppose it's Benjamin Button style mm. reverse aging. Instead of going from the larva to the adult, they go back doesn't stave off starvation indefinitely because the larvae can still starve to death if they go without food or water but it does allow them to recover and then if they're deprived of food again they can go backwards over and over again and the authors of the papers that described this gave up trying to test the limits of how far they could keep regenerating after two years so they just kept letting them get to a certain stage then they'd starve them they'd go back they regenerate and then they'd let them come back again and then they'd starve them again and they kept going back. So we don't really know how long they can keep doing this. I mean, that sounds like that Greek thing where the guy was strapped to the mountain and a, someone, uh, was it per Prometheus angered the gods? I don't know if it was him. I think it was him after he stole the fire. Anyway, the gods chained him to a mountain. Every night his liver was pecked out by a vulture and it would then heal up again the next day only to do it again. That sounds like what these uh, scientists <laughs> yeah. do to the Beatles. We will let you live only to starve you. Yeah, you know, and then I like the fact that the scientists got bored yeah. after two years. It's like, ah, oh, well. Which is and very... then they probably, they probably just, knowing scientists, just chucked him in a bin. Very Greek god. Yeah. I tire of this. So... It's apparent probably that this cycle cannot continue indefinitely because it takes more time. Each time they go back a stage in their development, it takes them more time to go forward. So eventually they'll probably just reach a point where they can't do it. Then there's the brilliantly named the immortal jellyfish, which is about four to five millimeters long. And that responds to environmental stress or physical assault or sickness by a little bit like the beetle reverses back to becoming a polyp. A polyp is like the larval stage of a jellyfish, I suppose. It glues itself to something in the water and then reverses, reverses back to being like a little blobby mass and it turns itself into that. And then all of its cells undergo transdifferentiation, which means that they can transform into any other type of cell. So its muscle cells can basically be reborn as nerve cells or sperm cells or egg cells. And it's essentially taking its whole adult jellyfish body, which is resetting the clock, and it can rejumble up all its cells again. They can become anything, and then it can pop back out as another jellyfish. It's a transformation potential unparalleled in the animal kingdom. And the immortal jellyfish, unless it gets eaten, theoretically, can live forever. As can the hydra, which are tiny 10 millimeter long freshwater polyp type organisms, which can be found in pretty much any freshwater pond. If you've got a pond in your garden, 
There's probably hydra in them. Or my fish tank. <laughs> they are. They're, yeah. <laughs> well, you're never getting rid of them. So they look like little tiny tubes with tentacles going off one end of it, and they eat even smaller aquatic animals. Now they, unlike the jellyfish and the beetle, which do grow old but can reverse it, hydra don't grow old at all because most of their bodies are stem cells. So they just undergo indefinite regeneration. They're just constantly replacing, as their cells tire and age, they're just constantly replacing them. They can still be killed by predation or disease or water contamination or something like that. But they're an animal that just doesn't age at all and can continually regenerate, as far as we're aware, forever. If you kept a hydra in optimal conditions, it would never die. But not only would it never die, it would never show any signs of growing old. So I don't know how you're going to get them out. Yeah. <laughs> how are you going to get them out of your fish tank? <laughs> I've never actually seen one. I don't know what they look like. Can you I, see them with the naked eye? Yeah, I knew I I was looking in one day and spotted it. And I, I knew bits of what you'd said. And I recognised it and I just thought, oh, fuck. Because they're one of those things as well. They can, re they can completely regrow from any cell. Well, I guess if they're all stem cells, exactly everything has the potential. So to if you try and like scrape them off the glass, you just pop it into like 10 little and then it. Yeah, oh, there's a lot to come with that struggle. OK, it's time for that part of the show where we take one of nature's magnificent creatures and we pit it against Roddy Shaw in a fight to the death. And he tells us how many of X particular creature he thinks he could take in a fight. Now, today's animal has been nominated unknowingly on Instagram from Grace Johnson, who has suggested the shoebill. Now, the name shoebill doesn't really do it justice. It's probably better known to many people as the most frightening looking bird on earth. It's been called the death pelican, all sorts of things, found in the swamps of Africa. Now, the tail of the tape, height. This bird stands at just over a metre to a metre and a half. Think like a big kind of stalk with a big blown out widened beak. After pelicans and storks, it's got the longest beak, which is this monstrous wide thing that ends in a big exposed hook, which they use mainly to eat fish, things like lungfish, which they dig out of the mud at the bottom of the swamps, but also frogs, snakes, water monitor lizards, baby crocodiles, anything they can fit into this beak. I will also add, before you make the decision, that not only do they look particularly frightening, but they're also raised pretty rough too because shoebills eggs hatch asynchronously, which means they lay two eggs at different times and one chick hatches before the other. So that first chick has no siblings whatsoever, gets lots of nice food, develops quickly. When the second chick hatches, the parents don't make any effort to distribute the food equally. And so it has to compete with its older, more well-developed sibling. That older chick will batter and bully that sibling and the youngest chick pretty much always dies of starvation. So they're raised from being very young to be pretty brutal animals and then they grow up into these absolute monstrous terror birds. So Roddy Shaw, the question is, how many shoebills is too many shoebills? Well, this is a foe for sure to be reckoned with. I it's mean, one of nature's boss battles. Yeah. The shoebill. This is, this is the end of the level. You know, I'm on low health. This is like bird boss. Yeah. Um, I, not not that I had confidence, but definitely my position was lowered with it being called the death pelican. That was something new to me. I'd heard about the the way they're raised. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, good to be refreshed on that because clearly any and all opponents I face in this arena will have already known conquest and what it is to spill blood. And if it's your own sibling, you've got to think the extent that this is willing to go for yeah. a victory, it's win at all costs from the Shoebill's perspective. How tall are they? Between a metre and a metre and a half. Okay. Normal bird that height, I would have confidence. Flamingos, I'm not intimidated. But the offence on a flamingo is poor. Is poor, but I'm processing my thinking here. The real thing which is unnerving about the Shoebill is without doubt it's upbringing in fire and brimstone. If I was standing across from a shoebill, it's got the mental advantage because of the way it looks. I should say, if you haven't seen a shoebill and you're listening to this and you can, instantly Google a picture of this bird because it will bring it home a lot more, the terror that people face when looking at a shoebill. They're extraordinary looking things. But also, it will have killed its sibling. Yes. Do they only ever kill one or do they kill, do we know? Generally, they lay two eggs. Yeah. And then they do this, what, what is known as obligate siblicide, which but, basically means one will always die. But never like three eggs, four it eggs. Might be three, I don't know, to be it honest. Might be three, because what I'm wondering here... Does that here, change your answer? Well, coming out of this, if I defeat one shoebill in combat, yeah. I then am equal to a shoebill. Yeah. So to truly best my foe, I have to defeat more shoebill mm. than it has. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I see. And so from a pride sense i'm going with two they can fly which we've not spoken about as potentially being that's a always a great offensive weapon any particular arena i'm thinking something with a low roof a roof that's just big enough for me to stand up in but where they can't really fully use their capability to fly because if they can if they can get above my head height and are coming down on me a semi-detached garage a semi-detached garage is perfect two shoe bill in a semi-detached garage somewhere it's definitely northern. It's not like a Surrey garage. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like Wakefield. Semi-detached garage in Wakefield. Two shoe bill so that if and when I emerge victorious, I can live life knowing that not only have I best the shoe bill, but I am greater than any shoe bill. Because to beat just one enemy would be... It's like when you, you know, fighters and they go into their final thing and it's like they're on whatever their win streak is and they're like, I have to do one more than the last guy. Yeah. I That's have you. to get that I have to get that shoe bill record. If we're saying most shoe bill have beaten one shoe bill, to truly best the shoe bill, I must beat two shoe bill. Thank you very much for listening to How Many Geese. I've been Roddy Shaw. He was Jack Adams. Tune in next Tuesday for the next episode. In the meantime, if you could follow us on Twitter, I'm at Roddy Shaw. He is at Jack Badams. Follow us on Insta. He's at J.A. Badams, at Jabadams, and I'm at Slideshow Rod. Really hope you enjoyed the episode. Please feel free to tell all your friends, like and share, leave reviews. You know what to do. But thanks for listening again. Go forth and feed the geese.